Hey everybody, last time we read Peter and the Star Catchers, we read chapters 30 through 33, and basically the Neverland and had been destroyed, the storm had uh, destroyed the ship, Peter and Molly were both in the water, Molly tried to save Peter by, she was flying and she picked him up out of the water and tried to fly him out, but he slipped and went back in the water. But he uh, luckily washed up on shore onto a beach. And then it talked about the boys, uh, James and the other boys, um, going into a dory with Alf, but it being capsized right away. But they were also able to hold on to the boat and get on to the island, I believe. And then it's it, chapter 33, talked about the Jolly Rogers seeing land, seeing an island. So they're going to stop at the island as well. Okay, so it's kind of talking about all the different sides together. So today we're reading chapter 34. It's called Reunited. Peter awoke face down with sand in his mouth and a bird on his head. When he spat out the sand, the bird squawked and fluttered into the air, landing a few yards away on the beach, disappointed at, at having lost its comfortable perch in Peter's thick red hair. Still spitting sand, Peter stood unsteadily and looked around him, blinking, almost blinded by the glare of the bright sun on the white sand. The beach, curving gently around a deep-water lagoon, stretched out several hundred yards in each direction. Ahead of him, maybe fifty yards away, was a line of palm trees. Beyond that, the land rose steeply, thick with green vegetation. He looked at the bird, which was looking back at him. "'Can you tell me where I am?' Peter asked. The bird said nothing. "'I didn't think so,' said Peter. He itched all over. He was hungry. His throat burned from swallowing seawater. He began trudging toward the trees." His plan was to climb into the hills looking for a stream. There had to be water, he figured, with all this greenery. There ha but he was still weak from his ordeal at sea, and when he reached the palms, he decided to rest a bit. He sat beneath a tree, his back against its rough gray bark, and closed his eyes. He opened them when he felt a shadow fall on his face. Hello, Peter, said Molly. Molly, said Peter, scrambling to his feet. It's you! This immediately struck Peter as an exceptionally stupid thing for him to have told Molly, but she didn't seem to notice. Yes, she said, it's me. Are you all right? Yes, said Peter, brushing some sand off his clothes. I'm fine, and I... That is you... I mean you... He stammered to a stop, his face red. What is it, Peter? I mean, thank you, Molly, for saving me. Molly took a step forward and put her hand on Peter's arm. This felt absolutely wonderful to Peter. He cast his eyes down, lest she see the effect she was having. Peter, she said, it's I who should be thanking you. You helped me when I desperately needed help. You got the trunk off the ship. You risked your life for me. The least I could do was try to keep you from drowning. I'm only sorry I let you fall. That wasn't your fault, said Peter. I couldn't hold on any longer. After you fell, she continued, I began to descend. And fortunately, the wind drove me onto this island, not far from here. I've been searching since then, hoping that you were... I mean, I was so worried, Peter, 
And when I saw you against the tree, I... Now it was Molly's turn to cast her eyes downward. After an awkward silence, Peter said, Have you seen a stream? I'm awfully thirsty. No stream, not yet, said Molly. But I think I've found water. What do you mean? On the beach, just a bit that way, said Molly, pointing. There's a barrel. It looks like a water barrel from the Neverland. The Neverland, said Peter, suddenly remembering. Do you think it was... I mean... James and them, do you think? Molly's look was somber. I don't know, Peter, she said. All we can do is hope they're all right. But for now, we need to look after ourselves. What do you mean? Well, for starters, we should get that water barrel off the beach before the tide takes it back out to sea. We'll need it if we can't find any other water. We'll also need to find food sooner or later. And most important, we need to look for the trunk. Really? said Peter. You think it could have ended up on this island? The barrel ended up here, didn't it? True, said Peter. Let's go get that barrel, said Molly. Then we'll climb this hill and have a look around at what else is on this island. The barrel was heavy. It took all their strength to roll it up the beach. It was sealed with a thick cork stopper, which Peter managed with considerable effort to dislodge by banging it with a sharp piece of coral. The water was warm and brackish, but they both drank greedily. Then, at Molly's insistence, they dragged the barrel into a depression in the land and covered it with fallen palm fronds. Then she made them back away from the hidden barrel, using fronds to sweep away their footprints. Why are you being so careful? Peter asked. There's nobody here but us. That's true now, said Molly. But somebody may come, and I don't want them taking our water. When she was satisfied that the barrel was hidden, she and Peter set off inland. They soon found themselves struggling up a steep mountainside, thick with vegetation, trees, vines, bushes bearing large, sweet-smelling yellow flowers. Insects hummed around their ears. Birds twittered and screeched in the tree canopy above them. At times the vegetation was so thick Peter couldn't see Molly a few feet ahead of him. At times he couldn't even see his feet. He wondered if there might be snakes. It certainly looked as though there might be snakes, but he did not voice this thought, as he didn't want Molly, forging re resolutely ahead, to think he was scared. After about forty-five minutes of hard climbing, they emerged onto an open, rocky plateau, from which they could look back and see where they'd been. They were several hundred feet up now, looking down on the lagoon where Peter had come ashore. Peter could see the gouge in the sand they'd met, made when they dragged the water barrel up the beach. To the far right-hand side, a ridge jutted into the sea, separating Peter's lagoon from another, shallower one, with a wide beach that... What was that? Molly, said Peter, pointing toward the far lagoon. Look! Molly squinted, shading her eyes. It's a boat, she exclaimed. A little boat, and people. I see three, four, five of them. Peter strained to make out the distant, dark shapes on the white beach, it looks like four smallish ones and one biggish one, he said. Oh, Molly, do you think it's James and them? Molly studied the shapes some more. Yes, she said. It's definitely them, and a crewman. I believe it's your friend, the big one. Alf, said Peter, his heart soaring. Even Alf was alive. Let's go down to meet them. Yes, said Molly, suddenly serious, and we had better hurry. Peter, hearing the change in her tone, looked at Molly and saw alarm in her face. "'What is it?' he said. "'See for yourself,' 
she said, pointing off to the left. Peter looked and saw it instantly, a ship, heading straight toward the lagoon where he'd come ashore, a black ship, flying the Jolly Roger. Chapter 35, Into the Jungle Come on then, lads, said Alf, trudging up the beach. Behind him, walking single file, single file and glancing nervously at the line of palm trees ahead, were James, Prentice, Thomas, and Tubby Ted. Sir, James asked, what are we going to do? We're going to look for water, said Alf. And food, said Tubby Ted. Water first, said Alf. We can go days without food. We can what? shouted Tubby Ted. Keep your voice down, said Alf. We might have company on this island. What? What kind of company? asked Prentice. I don't know, said Alf, but some of these islands is inhabited by savages. The word hung in the air. Savages. Sir, Thomas said, are savages bad? Not all of them, no, Alf answered. Some are just, what's the word, primitive, like big children. What about the others, said Prentice. Well, said Alf, I've heard stories about sailors who were shipwrecked on islands just like this, and the savages come and grabbed them and put them in a big pot. What? Why, why did they do that? asked Prentice. Alf stopped, looked back. Why do you think? he said. Yet, you mean they... they ate them? said Prentice. Like a Christmas pudding, said Alf, resuming his trudge toward the tree line. The boys were quiet now, thinking unpleasant thoughts, except for Tubby Ted, who was torn between unpleasant thoughts and pudding. They reached the palm trees and explored the area a bit, that is, Alf explored the area, with the boys staying as close as possible to his reassuring bulk. They found nothing of interest, no water, no food, no footprints. That's it then, said Alf. We'll have to go in there. He nodded toward the green wall of vegetation covering the mountainous slope rising away from the beach. The boys peered apprehensively at the impenetrable facade of the jungle. But sir, said Thomas, what if there's savages in there? We got to chance that, said Alf. If we don't find water, we'll die, and then the crabs will eat us just as sure as savages would. He started forward, shoving his big th frame through a thick mass of vines. They closed behind him like a green curtain, and suddenly he was out of sight. His muffled voice came back to the boys. You lads coming? The boys looked at one another, all thinking the same thing. They didn't want to go into the jungle, but they also didn't want to be separated from Alf. James, grimacing, pushed his way through the vine curtain, followed reluctantly, but very closely, by Prentice, Thomas, and Tubby Ted. As the vines closed behind them, they found themselves in a world quite different from the brilliantly sunlit beach. The sun barely pierced the thick tree canopy above them, its light weakened to a kind of green dusk. The vegetation around them was so thick that they could see no more than a few feet in any direction, and sometimes not even that. There was no path, no opening, only the random riot of the vines and trees, and within a few steps James could not be sure which way they had come from, and which way they were going. What was more alarming was that he also did not see Alf. Sir, said James, sir? This way, came Alf's voice, even more muffled now, more distant. Coming, sir, said James, pushing in the direction he thought the voice had come from. Behind him, Prentice said, I can't see anything. Nor I, said James. From the rear, Tubby Ted said, 
There could be anything in here with us, and we wouldn't see it. There could be lions. Don't be stupid, said James. There's no lions. How do you know that, said Tubby Ted? Because it's an island. Lions don't live on islands. There could be gorillas, said Tubby Ted. What's gillas, said Prentice. Gorillas, said Tubby Ted. Big, hairy jungle things. They swing through the trees and grab you and take you to their nests. Gorillas don't have nests, said James. Of course they do, you git, said Tubby Ted. Why do you think they live in trees? James could not think of a good answer to that. He glanced up at the tree canopy, thick and dark and close. Prentice caught the glance, and his eyes followed it. Why do the gill gorillas, why do they take you to their nest, he said. You don't want to know, said Tubby Ted, meaning, of course, that he was about to tell them. They crack open your head like a coconut. Then they feed your brains to the baby gorillas. Prentice and Thomas looked horrified. They do not, said James. Yes, they do, said Tubby Ted. And then they take your eyes and they... Shut up, said James. I want to go back to the beach, said Prentice. Me too, said Thomas. We're not going back there, said James. We're staying with Alf. At that moment, all the boys had the same thought. Where was Alf? Sir, called James. Sir! There was no answer. Sir, can you hear me, sir? Nothing. Now they were all shouting as loud as they could, but nothing came back to them but the hum and whine of unseen insects. I want to go back to the beach, repeated Prentice. All right then, said James. We'll go back to the beach and we'll... We'll wait for Alf. When he sees we're missing, he'll come back and find us. If the gorillas don't get him, said Tubby Ted, or us. Shut up, said James. All right, we'll... James looked around him. In every direction he took, he could see perhaps six feet. In every direction, everything looked the same. Which way is the beach? James looked, looked around for a moment, feeling the weight of the other boy's eyes on him. All right, then, he said, shouldering his way through the vegetation. This way. The unyielding jungle made the going tiring. The weariness James felt in his arms and legs was worsened by the feeling, growing stronger in his gut each minute, that he had gotten them seriously lost. He couldn't tell if he was going in a straight line. He sometimes had the feeling he was walking somewhere that he'd already been. But there was no way to be sure in the unrelenting sameness of the jungle. Behind him he heard Prentice and Thomas crying softly, and Tubby Ted's labored breathing as he struggled to keep up. Tubby Ted's too tired even to talk, James thought. That's one good thing come of all of this. As they walked, James regularly shouted for Alf, but there was no response. Every few minutes, the boys stopped to rest, and James would try to cheer up the others. But more and more, he saw hopelessness on their faces, as well as growing ex exhaustion on Tubby Ted's. Camden, yeah, you can come down. More and more, James had to speak sternly to get them moving again. He struggled to stay calm, but as he stumbled forward through the clinging vines, the fears were multiplying in his mind. What if they were still lost when night fell? It was dark enough now, but he shuddered at the thought of being surrounded by this jungle in pitch blackness. Alf! he shouted for the hundredth time. And for the hundredth time, he got no answer. All right, then, he said, stopping again. Let's rest here for a bit. 
He turned reluctantly, not wanting to see the disheartened faces of the others, but feeling the burden of command. I wish Peter were here. Behind him, Prentice and Thomas were sitting in a dense growth of low ferns on the jungle floor, their heads down. Tubby Ted was... Tubby Ted wasn't there. Ted? said James. Ted? Do you hear me? Ted? Nothing. Wasn't Ted right behind you? James asked Thomas, fighting to keep the panic he was feeling out of his voice. He was, last I looked, said Thomas. When was that? said James. I don't know, said Thomas. A few minutes ago. You didn't hear anything? said James. No, said Thomas, sobbing now. What if a gorilla got him? That got Prentice crying, too. Stop it, you two, said James. Now listen. It wasn't any gorilla. Tubby Ted probably tripped and fell, is all. We have to go back and find him. I don't want to go back, said Prentice. I just want to get out of here. Me too, said Thomas. I'm not going back where there's gorillas. There's no gorillas, said James. You don't know that, said Thomas. You don't even know where we are. I'm not going back. Me neither, said Prentice. All right then, said James. All right, you stay here. I'm going to go back just a few steps and have a look. No, said Prentice. You'll get lost. I won't, said James. I'll be careful. Just a few steps. Stay right here. Don't move, you understand? Prentice and Thomas nodded. James edged past they were, where they were sitting and pushed his way back in the direction they'd come from. He followed the broken leaves and branches, walking for perhaps a minute. Then he paused and shouted, Ted! Ted! Answer me, Ted! Nothing. James looked back and called, Prentice! Thomas! Can you hear me? Yes! The two voices were muted but not far off. James decided to backtrack a little farther. Just a few more steps. He pushed on a short distance, then shouted again. Ted! Ted, it's James! Can you hear me? Answer me! Nothing. Not daring to venture any fur farther away from Prentice and Thomas, James turned back. He trudged a few yards and shouted, Prentice! Thomas! Nothing. James' spine went cold. Prentice! Thomas! That's not funny! Answer me! Nothing. Now James was running, stumbling forward, shouting. In a minute he reached what he judged to be the place where he'd left them. There was nobody there. Maybe it's the wrong place. But it wasn't the wrong place. He could see two flattened areas in the fern patch where Prentice and Thomas had sat. This was where they'd been. Prentice! Thomas! Answer me! Where had they gone? Alone now, no longer trying to hide his fear, James whirled in circles, shouting, looking, shouting, looking, but seeing only the dark green blur of the jungle. Finally, exhausted, he dropped to his knees, then onto his stomach in the thick, soft ferns. Then he put his face in his hands and cried, big, chest-racking sobs, until he couldn't cry anymore. He lay there, face in hands, trying to imagine that he could wish everything away, so that when he opened his eyes it would all be gone, the pirates, the shipwreck, and especially this awful jungle. Gone. Everything gone but his friends. But when he opened his eyes, the jungle was still there. 
surrounding him with its ominous, gloomy silence. Now, as James' eyes adjusted, as he raised his face from the ferns, he saw that there was something else right there in front of him. Two pairs of very large, very brown, bare feet. We'll stop there for today. Next chapter is chapter 36. It's called Getting Close.